Dawson's Local Phrase with the McMaster Living Theory Podcast. As usual, if you're interested in nominating a text, participating in the podcast, or just sending us feedback, you can ask at livingtheory.squarespace.com or email us at livingtheorypodcast at gmail.com. I'm here today with a guest. Um, we have a, actually a really cool relationship. I'm here today with someone who was my student a handful of years ago um, and did a master's program here at McMaster University. And we're going to be talking about a text that uh, we actually worked on as a TA student as part of that relationship a couple of years ago. So I'm here with Julia MP. Julia, why don't you introduce yourself? Hi, everybody who's listening. Thank you for taking the time. Really appreciate it. Um, I am a master's student here in critical theory and cultural studies, and I guess or yeah, what do you do? Um, my research currently, I'm interested in assemblage theory. Uh, I'm interested in critical approaches to race, gender, sexuality, and disability in particular. I'm interested specifically more so in how bisexual, bisexuality goes and operates within a social framework and then how does that then go and communicate across disability theory with regards to crip theory. Okay, so that sounds like a lot of different fields and you're working kind of at an intersection. Yes. Yeah. You gotta be intersectional. It makes it interesting. Plus also I think if we go and we silo different theoretical frameworks, Instead of going and having a nice conversation or cross kinds like an actual dialogue, um, we limit ourselves by not going and having those interventions. Yeah, no, that's a really um, yeah, that's an important way to think about it. I think, and actually, this is very topical. Um, the text we're going to be taking up today and over the next couple of weeks is um, a piece that is. For, for me, it was the first text that I read that really kind of did intersectionality and made me understand what intersectionality is and why it's important. Mm -hmm. um, and it's called Shifting the Center, Race, Class, and Feminist Theorizing about Motherhood, and it's about a theorist named Patricia Hill Collins. So you can look forward to that. All right, so let's get started. Um, so as usual, the first thing we're going to do is we're going to talk about um, the content of the text. We're going to talk a little bit about like what are the big takeaways, what is Hill Collins's um, what are her sort of her mini claims and her major takeaway arguments? Um, I'm going to make the case that this is an especially radical text in that in the the major kind of ask that it has of its readers. Um, but before we do that, I want us to kind of position ourselves in relationship to the text. So we're in. I spent a long time thinking about this today. So uh, here's a little a little bit of background. I we met with. I asked her if she wanted to be on the podcast, and I asked her, I was like, it'd be cool if we could talk about something from um, from the course, because you and I worked on this course together in one context, and now we can work on it in a, in a kind of as colleagues now. Mm -hmm. um, and Julia, when you picked this text, it made me, I was nervous. I was like, how are we, um, spoiler alert, this is like an audio medium, how are two white women, relatively privileged, in an academic space, going to talk about a text? Um, so Patricia Hill Collins is... Um, the, the big ask, and we're going to keep coming back to this, it's not like a big giveaway, is she's asking what happens if you recenter mothering, but mothering in communities of people of color as like the center of feminist theory. Like, how do we talk about that in a way that really does justice to the text? And for me, there's sort of two things that happened. And I was like, well, number one, we can't 
but no text that we talk about on the, like this just any medium we're never going to fully do justice to the context of, of a text there's I don't think we can master a text um, and secondly second thing was um, and this was this was the thing that helped me feel a little more comfortable with it was um, the ask is really important the contact is really important and also I think I think she's really writing to white feminists I think white feminists are her intended readers um, or at least are um, she's thought about women like us as as her audience in the way she's kind of shaped her argument see i do and i don't agree with that to a certain extent because i think to ever go and truly assume who someone's audience is i don't want to say that like group to be presumptuous but she is a black feminist she's writing in many ways toward like i think more towards racialized women um in particular women who have not who have been disenfranchised, women who have not really had that much of a voice. But at the same time, too, though, while she's addressing the issues as, by, and for racialized women, to go and say, like, she has placed um, white feminists within the framework, I mean, not part of the framework, in the periphery, because she wants us to go and think critically about our own positioning, but that doesn't mean that she's necessarily addressing us. Right. You, so, know, you see, I, it's, it's a bit more than a semantic difference, but I do think that there is a point of, like, not assuming that there is a specific audience, if sure. that makes sense. Yeah, so I don't think, sorry, I should clarify. Um, I don't think that she's like, oh, man, I should write a piece that, like, white feminists will understand. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think it's important that a lot of the content, a lot of the kind of the way that she, um, a lot of what comes up front in the article, the mm-hmm. way she introduces and sets up the stakes for the argument is laying out a set of facts that are going to be just self-evident for other black feminists and feminists of color that may not be self-evident to women who are in like a, a privileged position. And she kind of calls that out right up at the front mm-hmm. um which is a way of yeah we shouldn't be like oh this text is just for white women um yeah yeah but i guess my way in was to think about how the text is asking um asking white women to think about who their feminism is for mm-hmm. and positing a different way to do feminism that is kind of not even just more inclusive but just better and that is centering the people who are in um the most precarious position Mm-hmm. Because if feminism, to go and quote uh, Adichie, if it's supposed to be about um, the social and political and economic equality of the sexes, this is where we think about a lot of... I mean, right now we're about to go into the third wave of feminism. The second wave of feminism is dying. The Equal Pay Act has just been knocked down once again. So, I mean, we all see you know, like the, the context which Hill Collins is trying to go and address. And I think she's trying to go and bring in a more an anti-classism and also, I would, I would say, proto-Marxist approach mm-hmm. to, though, to her feminism. Trying to reincorporate that, too, though, but showing how you can still go and have an anti-classist moment. But that is so entangled, too, though, within anti-racist struggles as well. Yeah, absolutely. And part of... Um... We will eventually get back to telling you what the article is actually about. Sorry. <laughs> no, I think this is important work, too. Um, part of what she does, and she does this really, really well, is she keeps those things in conversation with each other in a way that... How do I say this? We're, yeah, where where race and sex and class um, 
Yeah, this is what I mean by this was the first text that really did intersectionality for me, where race and sex and class get bound up in her argument in a way that none of them get privileged, but she talks about how they all influence each other in a whole bunch of ways, that they're all kind of part of the conversation at once, Mm -hmm. but different pieces kind of surface at different moments. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, okay, let's talk about, about what her actual... Um, what, what is Patricia Hill Collins actually saying? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So do you want to, Julia, what's your, what's, what's my sense? Um, well, I think it's, I I'll just give a bit of an anecdote to go in context if that's all right. Yeah. Because while Jocelyn was teaching me, I was also quasi tutoring a couple of my classmates (laughs) And then I thought it was really funny how so many of them really latched on to this text. And I went, I, I, at the time, I asked them why, and they said, because it's so clear, it's so accessible, and then I can go and summarize their, like, her argument in a couple of sentences. And I think, but I, at the same time, too, though, I think that on the first glance of the first, re- like, one or two readings... It seems like it's a very simple thing. We need to go bring racialized women into the center. We need to think critically about class and how white women can be complicit within this. Like, it seems, it's pretty basic stuff when you think about it. But at the same time, too, though, what Hill Collins is showing us is that although this might seem like a very no-brainer, almost a duh type of moment, obviously we need to go and do this type of intersectional work. She wants to show us that putting it into legitimate practice is continually um, threatened under, let's be real, our capitalist system, and we have white supremacy, and how those two things go in link with each other, which actually prevents, well, not always say like completely, but it makes it very easy for white feminists to become very complicit within that project and to not think critically about their feminism as well. So she sort of wants to go and unearth that in my sense and go and say that it's not just like this idea, but it's the practice of it. She's very interested in the practice of this type of theory of this type of approach. So I think that's why it makes it a bit more complex than just beyond this initial five sentences this is what she's saying it's like no there's something more critical a little bit more insidious that she wants to go on an earth here yeah so let's let's take um i know the I'm abstract sorry. no no it's okay this is like this is how the conversation goes and this is how classrooms work and knowledge building works right um and part of the project is we assume this is why we name the text up front so people can read it yeah. and then the podcast maybe helps them understand it or gives them some tools so mm-hmm. hopefully yeah so so what kind of the simplest version of what her argument is for people who for people who haven't read the haven't read the text for people who are going to read it maybe after they listen to the podcast um, is that we have this idea of motherhood mm-hmm. and we have a discourse about it and we have media and we have representations and we also have like lived the lived fact of experience of motherhood and it all gets distilled all of that gets distilled into this idea of motherhood. Um, in the popular imaginary that takes a particular experience, an experience that's very much, um, has like very much a white experience of mothering. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, but also like kind of a 1950s post-World War II suburban idea. So like mother- class privileged. Yeah. Yeah. So like the image that we have of motherhood is this woman who is very, very, um, 
care of her children while her husband makes an income that is an outlet that provides for the family you know mm-hmm. own, owning property etc cetera, etc cetera, right um and she says okay so if we want to talk about mothering and we want to talk about um mothering as a part of feminism which of course of course mothering needs to be part of that mm-hmm. um, part of that discussion then we have to talk about the way that for women of color um that that is just not that 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 discourse is so far from real lived experience from what is available for most women and also from what um the project of mothering is in those communities and so she starts off with um the fact that while white women can most of the time assume that their children will live mm-hmm. right will like physically have life um that women of color don't even get that privilege which is her right like and then she goes on to talk about um, the way that that discrepancy informs practices, what Julia was already getting at, practices of mothering um, that get really, really complex. And she breaks them down um, a little bit, but also kind of talks about this larger project of recentering this kind of other sphere of mothering mm-hmm. and what mothering is. Mm-hmm. No, it's funny. Um, not, I hate the expression, it's funny, because something, it's not ha-ha, it's just it's peculiar. Sure. Because that also jogged my memory, too, though, of when Audre Lorde gave her talk, and she goes and she talks about how white women, you're not, af- like, you're not afraid of your child to, like, walk down the street, but yet I'm afraid that my son's going to walk out and he's going to get shot by the police. I'm paraphrasing right now. And I mean, and as you were saying before we press record, uh, this conversation of the violence that racialized bodies are subjected to, but then in turn, the culture of fear then, that it then gets entwined with those types of, with those women who have to mother those children as well. Like, that becomes even more pertinently relevant as well. So it's in our contemporary context. Yeah, absolutely. It's, like, such a, a complicated thing that we're starting to... And also we is tricky because I don't want to say we isn't like, again, I don't want to center white women or white feminists, but that kind of the discourse, the, like the popular imaginary, right? Like that mm-hmm. discourse is so white and that's a problem. We need to break that down. Um, and we need to like really take people, Audre Lorde, Hill Collins, um, reading Toni Morrison in conjunction with this, um, like, like take what this people are saying kind of to heart um but also this ties into like we need to listen and understand what communities that are really under those stresses and are kind of pushing back contemporarily Mm -hmm. um to heart so things that are going on in we're still living in um where like protests are still going on in ferguson missouri right Mm -hmm. like um and i think that all all ties back and ties into well, even bringing up Ferguson, thinking about Eric Gardner's widow now standing up there and saying how I don't accept his apology. Yeah. I still have to go home. Like he's got to go home to his family. I still have to figure out how I'm going to go and feed my children. Right. So then it's also it's just that it's not even just the fear of your children, but if you lose your partner, and it's not even just the police violence. I mean, more black men are now currently in jail for drug and violent crimes than there ever were under slavery. And under how many houses then, which due to, you know, the racist judicial system in North America, we have even more women, more black women in particular, who then have to go and take up. So, which then I think Hill Collins, when she goes and she talks about 
this idea of like the nuclear family and everything about the nuclear family, the struggle for autonomy takes the form of increasing opposition to the mother, the individual responsible for socializing these children by guiding principles. And I am taking that out of context. However, to recontextualize that a bit more of in our conversation, this idea of how mothering, especially because if, if when Hill Collins is going talking about mothering, it isn't just about this idea of the single family unit. It's a communal project too, though. And it's also it's identity building too, though, when it comes to the racialized body as well. And how that onus is then put up so much more heavily upon the mother. And how that type of work across just this idea of giving life and providing but even again what does it mean to provide and she wants to trouble those notions and i think she does that rather successfully yeah absolutely and she comes up um i don't i should have yeah i don't know is she the first person who uses the term mother work i think so if i recall correctly yeah so mother work is um and i'm gonna i'm gonna paraphrase and part of what the project on the podcast is to um simplify and break down kind of um, difficult or abstract concepts is, yeah, um, how does she say it? it? It's, again, it comes back to, it's hard, because you don't have to be a mother to do mother work, but to do mother work, you have to be a person who is contributing to, as Julia was saying, like, the socialization of children along whatever kind of your social rules are, um, but also, so that's a combination of preparing children for survival physically and kind of, um, I'm going to say, like, psychically, like, psychic survival, Mm -hmm. um, preparing yourself. And she talks a lot about um, preparing, for example, children to be in a world that is maybe dangerous, physically Mm -hmm. dangerous for them, um, but also trying to foster um, a sense of, like, a positive sense of self in a world that is kind of hating on you or, like, that is trying to destroy you, right? Mm -hmm. And so that um, mother work is kind of situated at that nexus of, like, physical and psychic survival and preparedness and readiness Mm -hmm. um yeah where we don't we think of mothering is just like feeding and cleaning up and Mm -hmm. well and i think that's just that it that's also gets to though we live in a horribly viciously sexist society the work of a mother is always going to be devalued women's work in general i mean it's kind of good to say like wage equity gap as Patricia Arquette wanted to go and inform us although a bit crassly and not completely intersectionally a couple of weeks ago you know it's always going to end up being devalued or having its issues we know this but what Hill Collins also really wants to go and stress though is that when you're dealing with a racialized body too though yeah so Hill Collins is I want to talk about sort of three parts of her argument and the way they kind of work together Mm -hmm. so uh, the first thing that she talks about is, and we've we've already touched on this, that it is important for feminism, if it is going to if it is going to do the things it claims to do, which mm-hmm. is look out for the well being of women, right, um, to consider the particularities of life for women who are not just those women who get represented in that discourse, right? So like white women. Um, so maybe we even need to recenter feminism on, for example, women of color. And this is her like, her argument, right? And she takes up mothering as because it's so tied to female bodies, mm-hmm. um, to the growth of communities, to health of communities, those kinds of things. And says you know, it's very particular for women of various minorities um, within particular minority groups, but then also as a group together who kind of get placed in this binary against um, white women. 
Mm-hmm. So that's the first part. So we need to recenter on what are the conditions of mothering mm-hmm. for women of color, um, and then how what what the project of feminism maybe needs to think about supporting those communities and those women in that work. Um, the second thing that she does is she talks about relationships, the way that women of color have been disempowered in relationship to the state. Mm-hmm. And and this is what I, we talked about, like, intersectionality. So she doesn't say, I'm going to do a post-colonial analysis of this settler nation and the way that sovereign powers enact themselves on mm-hmm. the bodies of um, certain... Um, it, of indigenous populations, certainly, and then also certain kinds of immigrant populations. Mm-hmm. She doesn't go and say she's... But then she just does it. Yeah. She just does that analysis. Um, if we tie mothering to female bodies, mm-hmm. right, then, then part of an understanding of mothering and mother work is that we have to understand historically the way that the choice to be mothers, mm-hmm. whether that means to have children or whether that means having access to things like abortion services, mm-hmm. um, that that choice has not been equally distributed. Or it's like even within the context of slavery too, though, as well. Yeah. A lot of enslaved African women would have children and then their children would be commodified and sold as like property. You know, like in that type of tension too, though, because I mean, let's be real, uh, although slavery is still going on in North America today in various forms, um, that is still like, that is a, a burden. And that's a history that people still go and carry. And also when we go and think about how then, um, like apparent post-slavery communities were even formed too, though, the type of violence that we wrecked upon those women still as well. Yeah, absolutely. And and just for people listening, Julia isn't just like, oh man, we need to, like, Julia's not pulling this out of nowhere. I mean, like, even if you were, just, like, this is a factor and it relates. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that is, like, that's part of Hill Collins is, she's, you know, for, for, um, let's come back to the opening line of the essay is, for Native American, African American, Hispanic, and Asian American women, motherhood cannot be analyzed in isolation from its context. Um, and then part of the context that she comes back to later in the essay, she says, you know, for example, for black women in America today, you can't, there is no such thing as an idea of motherhood um, that is completely cut off from the history of slavery and the yep. way, yeah. And we're still living out that legacy too, though, today. And I think that is because here's another, because here's the thing too that when it comes to like slavery as well, it wasn't just like the beginning of capitalism, but it also was the beginning of, you know, biomedical racism too, the eugenics projects and everything like that, that then becomes socialized and becomes social norm. And that's how, you know, white hegemony started to go and really operate and to go and say that we're out of it. Obviously that's a farce. It's stupid. Sorry to go and be crude about it, but it's true. And so, I mean, we have to go and acknowledge that type of history and the fact that that's always going to, that, not always, that was really dramatic, but you know, that does go and inform the way how a lot of black feminism too, though, has been, you know, expressed as well. I mean, I, when I mentioned Audre Lorde before, Audre Lorde goes and talks about the legacy of slavery, Bell Hooks goes and talks about it as well. You know, we need to be conscious of like these types of things to go and act like it's in the past and that it's not a traumatic legacy that's currently being lived out, we're then not really going and doing this type of work justice then. Or you can't 
do justice to an idea that feminism is concerned with the well-being of women as a category Mm -hmm. without thinking about how are conditions different for people underneath that umbrella category of women. And one of the things is, like, some people still live in a situation where they're tied to that history. Mm -hmm. Um, And I mean, like, everybody in North America lives in a position where we're tied to that history, but for some women, that is part of their everyday Mm -hmm. experience. Well, and that's the thing, though, about, like, white privilege in particular. We're able to go and operate not really going and thinking about it at all because, you know, it doesn't directly affect us, but also that's part of the way how... Yeah, exactly. It allows you to, it allows you to go and remain ignorant of these things and to go and like not like, and even that's the one thing too, though, you can go and acknowledge it. You can acknowledge like, you know, oh, racism is still alive and well, but what are like, what actual anti-racist work are you doing? And I find for myself, I continually live within that tension because I might be going and acknowledging it. I might be aware of it, but how do you go and you actually do productive ally work? too but i think that's another conversation to have a bit later maybe yeah i think we're, we're gonna come back to things i think we talked about a couple of texts if we can uh summarize it up yeah what are things to read if you're or people to look up if if you are dissatisfied with our account which are it's fine it's um, fine but also if you just want to read more about um what hill collins is doing where kind of that project comes around more related projects um we talked about audra simpson is mm-hmm. somebody who is just a powerhouse. You should read her. Audra Lord. Uh, her. Well, I mean, yeah, you're, you're, no, for sure. And like her stuff is really it's short. It's easy to go and find and it is accessible and it does pack the proverbial punch as well. I mean, and then one text that I found to be very accessible and influential is Bell Hooks, sure. uh, Feminist Theory um, from Margin to Center, where she picks up a lot of similar things that hill collins is going and saying so i highly recommend that as well um yeah and gloria anzaldua anzaldua i can never anzaldua anzaldua um who who talks about intersectional politics and intersectional feminism from a different she's talking specifically about um like living on a border and she's living on like the american mexican border and how to construct identity and yeah it's it's La Frontera slash Borderlands. Yeah. 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 That's such a good book. It's it's a great it's a great piece. An uncomplicated piece. But definitely if you're if any of this has piqued your interest, you should you should check it out. So Definitely. Yeah. So this has been great. Thank you, Julia, for your time. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. All right. Swing, 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 swing.